Hello, welcome back to the Being Whole podcast. Today we have my friend Julie Afsahi joining us from Soul Strong Yoga. Julie is a mother, yoga and meditation teacher, entrepreneur, and passionate yoga practitioner. Yoga has been Julie's life support and allowed her to regain mobility after years of dealing with a rare neuromuscular disease. Julie is a big believer in sharing the practice of yoga and meditation to all and has rich insight when it comes to adaptive yoga. Prior to opening Soul Strong Yoga, Julie was a teacher and instructional designer designing online trainings for tens of thousands of educators. Julie leads a business mentorship program for yoga teachers and entrepreneurs and is a 500-hour ERYT yoga teacher and certified meditation and mindfulness teacher. You can study yoga and mindfulness with her virtually at teachyogaforall.com or in person at soulstrongyoga.com. Let's dive into today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Being Whole podcast. Today, I'm super excited to be here with my friend, Julie. Julie actually holds a very special place in my heart. She is the co-owner of Soul Strong Yoga Studio, and that is where I was very fortunate to do my 200-hour yoga teacher certification. So for a variety of reasons, I'm excited to have Julie here. So welcome, Julie. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. So, okay, obviously I kind of gave it away a little bit that, you know, you, you co-own a yoga studio, but you have so many unique things about you, so many different things that have brought you along your journey. I'd love for you to just tell, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and kind of what's brought you to this place and what you're going to share with us today. Well, thank you again so much for having me on your Bean Whole podcast. I'm so delighted and honored to be here. Um, yeah, I think you know, for all of us, it's a, been a journey, right? Life is definitely a journey, uh, many winding pathways. And also, I think, I think one thing from the yoga practice that really resonates with me is wherever we are now, we try to hold a space of honor. I wouldn't go so far as to say gratitude, but maybe a space of honor um, for all that has happened uh, to bring us here to this moment. So you know, my journey began in Texas. I grew up um, with a two-parent household. Uh, my dad had immigrated from Iran um, for college, and my mom was from the States. And so that was kind of a interesting dynamic growing up, especially um, in the suburbs of Dallas-Fort Worth, where there was, um, yeah, all sorts of racism and... Um, Lots of things happened with my upbringing uh, because I always felt, you know, a little bit different uh, mm-hmm. than everyone else. Um, and then went to college. I thought I would uh, pursue education, uh, meaning the profession of education, be a teacher. I was hoping, you know, to then work for a school district or be a principal and then one day work in policy. That's kind of where I saw mm-hmm. things headed. Um, and studied Mandarin along the way, lived in China, all that good stuff. So but then <laughs> I love how you throw that out there as like some, just a random aside, studied Mandarin, lived in China, no big deal. <laughs> so crazy. So, so then, yeah, everything got flipped on its head. Like in 2012, um, I was in a PhD program and started having muscle weakness, dizziness, vertigo, um, was told many times by lots of qualified physicians that 
I had psychiatric problems and it wasn't physical and it was conversion disorder and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Went to Mayo Clinic. They said something's brewing, but we don't know what. Um, and then it turned out I had like a rare neuromuscular disease that usually starts around the age of 32, which is for women, which is was my exact age. Wow. Um, so yeah, that's when everything just really turned for me and shifted big time. Um, but I got really into yoga. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and just, that's kind of, you know, the crux of it. Like I, I, it's so interesting to me, you know, because hearing the timeline of it, of course, you know, my diagnosis was such a similar timeline to yours too, even though they're separate diseases, we've talked a lot about autoimmune. You and I have talked a lot about just the bodily responses and different things. And just already what you've said, you know, going to so many different practitioners, you know, being told that it's a multitude of psychiatric problems or conversion disorder, you know, and just what that does to you as a person, Mm -hmm. when you are already at a place where you don't feel well, you know, physically, you don't feel well, emotionally, mentally, you're sure something's wrong with you and you feel terrible. So to go to these qualified people over and over and to know in your heart, okay, no, there's something up and to hear those things, you know, thankfully then you did get to a place where people were like, no, yeah, you're right. There's something here. Mm -hmm. But I think too, like where I love you, the fact that you're so willing to share your story is, is that piece of it is so important to me because I experienced Mm -hmm. something so similar. And I think, you know, you and I, then we were our own advocates and we kept fighting and kept going. But I think about too, like the number of women in particular who listened to that one person who was like, oh no, you know, it's in your head. And just all of the ways that we, we sit with that misery because we, we don't, we're, we're not taught to trust and listen to our bodies. So Mm -hmm. having you then find yoga and having you build this beautiful practice for yourself and for other Mm -hmm. people that really is about, okay, yeah. What is your body trying to tell you? So like, Mm -hmm. did you do yoga before any of this, or was this kind of like a part of your journey? Tell me a little bit Mm -hmm. about that. Yeah, I did do some yoga, you know, before just off and on. um, And my kind of religious practice that I grew up with when I was younger, there was, you know, lots of prayer and meditation. So that piece has always been part of my life. Um, You know, it's come and go, but definitely uh, very used to like sitting in meditation. Um, But the physical practice of yoga, it just, I had just thought of it as like a, a regular exercise and like, sometimes I was into yoga, sometimes I was into swimming, jogging, a little bit of a mix. Um, and then it wasn't until I was really sick and in bed that I started to find yin yoga, which is like the slow, stretchy kind of yoga. And that is when I really started to make some, you know, for other people, it might not seem like a lot, but for me, it seemed like a lot. Like I really started to make some gains with my mobility, um, I think sometimes people too, who don't have autoimmune disease or don't have diseases that fluctuate, Mm -hmm. um, they don't realize like, because you and I are walking around and talking around this podcast, you know, we're teachers, we're all of these things that there are even times now when we're in bed for long periods, or there were times not so long ago where we were in bed for long periods. Um, so we're talking like, years where I really um, didn't have much mobility. Um, years. So during that time, yen became really important. 
or you didn't have the mobility and then what that does to your body. I mean, same way for me Mm -hmm. when I was on, you know, we used to have those bed days, you know, and then they turn into weeks and what have you. And just what that does to you structurally, skeletally, muscularly, Mm -hmm. you know, not being able to move. But then also, as you said, like really understanding that even when you're, you know, having better days or when you're not in flares or things like that, there's still periods Mm -hmm. of time where your body just cannot. And it's sometimes it happens when it's so unexpected. Like you just said, we're sitting here on this podcast today. I can tell you that just today I woke up, thought I was doing okay. Ended up needing to go back to sleep, fell asleep. Didn't even hear my son leave for school because Mm -hmm. my body just kind of shut down and it was like, yep, that's what it needed to do. And I woke up and at first it was like this, you know, instant little panic of, oh my gosh, I didn't have time to sleep. There were so many other things I needed to do, but then it was that kind of reminder to myself of exactly what you're saying too. Okay. Now that's observing my body. That's what it needed. It shut down because it needed to at that moment. So I think giving your body what it needs and understanding what that is, like you said, being able to make gains from the yin yoga. And to some Mm -hmm. people that might just seem like, oh, you're just stretching or you're like rolling over, like moving your, you know, it's like, oh no, they don't see much happening there. That's a huge (laughs) personal win. Like right there. (laughs) Big deal for me, a really big deal. You know, what you um, said to reminded me of a few years ago, there was a really young person in my uh, yoga class that I was teaching a beginner's yoga class. And she also has a rare neuromuscular disease, a totally different one. But she said part of her life, even when she's not in a flare, is just waiting for the shoe, to, the next shoe to drop or whatever the expression is. And over time, I got to know her really well. And we both realize like one of the reasons we liked the yoga practice so much is because it really is always helping you lovingly draw your awareness back to the present moment. So if you're uh, doing yoga, really bringing that awareness back to your breath, just being present in the moment Mm -hmm. so that you can alleviate some of that pain of like always having to live in the future. Like, I don't know if tomorrow when I get up, I'm going to be able to get up and do this stuff or not do this stuff or what my mind is going to be like tomorrow, what my body is going to be like tomorrow, but it just helps you kind of lovingly guide your attention back over and over and over again to the present. Mm -hmm. So we just found that over time, like that yoga really just does help with that. It seems really simple when I say it out loud, Um, but it can be not that I'm perfect at all, but it's extremely anxiety provoking to live in a body that you can guarantee is going to be different tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, so, (laughs) and that's, I mean, I think that that's, that's one of the, the biggest pieces for people to understand. Like you say, it's, it's just that inside itself is just anxiety producing. And sometimes I struggle with that. You know, it's like, I've done so much healing work. I feel so zen. I'm so calm, but there's just always that underlying undercurrent of like, yep. Oh wait, I woke up today. And now everything I thought that I was going to be able to accomplish is no longer possible for me because I know my body is going to do this other thing. And that is a hard reality, especially Mm -hmm. when you have big hopes and dreams and things that you want to accomplish, especially when, you know, you are a a mother or a parent or especially, you know, whatever your list is, right? So that kind of undercurrent of you never know what you're going to get and you have to 
be okay with what you get, right? It makes it difficult to then kind of plan some of these other things or to have kind of some of these forward thoughts that we want to have. And it Mm -hmm. can also then, as you know, change relationships too, because really finding the people then who understand, you know, who don't always need the explanation of a cancellation Mm -hmm. or the people who can just accept that, yep, I might look like this, but what Mm -hmm. you are not seeing is like how the inside of me feels like it's on fire right now, you Mm -hmm. know, or whatever it is. Got it. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. It's so, so relatable. And also just, um, oh gosh, there's a lot there, (laughs) but one thing I was thinking about today too is, like, why do I, why do I keep doing yoga over and over? Like, why do I keep getting drawn back to this practice? And I think part of it too, is just that connection that it brings to that stability within yourself. So we're talking about like, okay, can't depend on my body being there for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that, and sometimes the connection, I can't experience like a lot of connection with other people. So what does connection look like for me? Well, connection might look like going inwards and like connecting with my breath or connecting with my thoughts or my feelings or my dreams. But I think we crave, you know, connection as humans, Mm -hmm. um, connection beyond like what all is the, you know, the chaos that is happening. So it's just kind of this little anchor in my life that just like helps me kind of go through yeah without having to ride the wave of too much craziness um but I was just thinking about that today I'm like why do I keep like I'm not tired of it yet you know like why am I not tired of this practice yet (laughs) well I think because too for you and this is one of the reasons why I loved the training so much at Soul Strong too is that it it was so much of the focus too on that continual drawing inward throughout your practice, throughout your teaching, throughout everything, because it is, it's not only moving you through class and the postures, but it's a way then, okay, how can this move you through whatever you need to get through? Right. And so sometimes the reality of it is, is it it is yourself and having that solid foundation, like friends are great. Having these other external Mm -hmm. sources of support, those things are wonderful, right. But really and truly being able to get back and sit with yourself and be okay with yourself. And, you know, as we've talked about, that was one of the reasons why I did not do yoga for the longest time, (laughs) because, you know, for a lot of people too, that idea of sitting with yourself and sitting still and being in those spaces, it can feel uncomfortable, right? Or it can bring up kind of some of those emotional spaces that feel more difficult. Mm -hmm. And so I think too, like just even being able to really understand like, okay, if that feels more difficult for you, or if it is bringing up some more emotions, like, you know, really listening again to your body, like your body is trying to tell you something through Mm -hmm. that, you know? And so really being able to feel that. And so putting that together finally for me too. Cause when I got sick, that was something too. Everybody's like, do yoga and do meditation. Mm-hmm. And I resisted so much because I was just like, you know, how is this going to help me? How is this going to help yeah. me? <laughs> and, and really for what it is for me too, especially with some of my trauma and everything is it mm-hmm. is, it's going back to those recognition of the body, those bodily cues, calming my nervous system, understanding yeah really understanding okay being the observer you know that was my favorite thing that we always talked about in class too where am I feeling these things in my body where do I need to have more attention to things and where is my mind going that it doesn't need to go 
And so I think that one of the things too, when you, whenever I've listened to you talk about your practice in the studio is that you're so very good at drawing attention to those things for people, as opposed to, you know, you just come and like, okay, now we're going to downward dog or, okay, now we're going to, you know, flow through this and really just helping people kind of do that connection. And I think that is a beautiful gift for exactly what you're saying, because we have to connect with ourselves first. Right. And it's not, um, the thing too, is it's not like a hopeless practice. So if you're like connecting with yourself and it's, oh my gosh, I'm experiencing pain or I'm thinking about something that I don't want to be thinking about. It's also then being this active, compassionate voice for yourself too. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh, who I love and, you know, recently passed away. Um, he says, that when you meditate and you have these thoughts or you have, um, you know, unwanted emotions or unwanted memories, like you just have to hold yourself like a baby, like imagine those thoughts or whatever is coming up for you that's um, causing discomfort. Just imagine like collecting it and holding it like you would a baby and just sending it all the love in the world. So it isn't, that's why the other thing I really love about like mindfulness and yoga is that it's a very loving practice. It's not like, oh, you have pain with your body, notice the pain, sit with the pain, endure the pain. It's like, oh, send so much love to that point of pain, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> have so yeah. much compassion for yourself, like speak so sweetly to yourself, like, yeah. or if you have, you know, mean thoughts in your mind about yourself, like you're not good enough. You're not good enough. Like, that's okay. Like observe that it's happening in your body, but then just send the love right back. You know, it's a very, very hopeful practice. Well, and I love, you know, it's, it's something too, where I think like sometimes people, I tell my students this all this, the time, I'm like, I understand what, how I'm saying, like what I'm saying, I understand how it comes across sometimes. And I understand how cheesy I sound sometimes. Like I fully get that. I yes. like, <laughs> like, just give me a minute. I was like, just leave me a little bit. Cause you know, it sounds a little woo woo sometimes too. Right. Yeah. So it's like, well, let me tell you about the neuroscience too, but right. it really is like you say, giving love to it. And I was just, I'm in this class too, learning more about attachment styles and the somatic experience of where we hold emotions in our body. Mm -hmm. And that's too, what we're talking about, like with the mindfulness. And it was talking about the difference between being aware and being present and we can be aware of things, but typically when we're aware of things, we still hold judgment on them. But the idea of really being present is like going back to what you're saying too, is you can be present with your negative experiences or be present with difficult emotions, but not judge them, just honor them for showing up. And thanking oh, them for being there. You know, it's like, yep, this is causing me discomfort right now, but I'm not going to judge that discomfort or I'm not even going to try to push that away and really mm -hmm. trying to constantly work toward that, that feeling of presence instead of just awareness. Cause awareness can make us feel a little anxious too, right. Or make us feel like, oh, I'm aware of this. And now what do I do with it? But it's like, you're saying, guiding that awareness into presence, guiding that awareness to really accept mm -hmm. our body for whatever it's bringing us at whatever moment in time, accept the thoughts that are in our brain and thank them for being mm -hmm. there. Sometimes tell them to come back another time, <laughs> you know, or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> and, but really just that overall idea, you know, of, of listening to yourself without having so much external noise, tell you what that's supposed to feel like or look like. Yeah. 
a, a couple of things uh, came up for me while you were talking. And um, one is because I am a high anxiety individual, I think probably like since I was three is maybe when I still remember <laughs> having some issues with anxiety. Uh, so yeah, sitting in silence uh, can definitely be anxiety provoking for a lot of us. Um, so that piece of, it's like, you're the observer of sitting with whatever is happening with, you know, your body today or your mind today, but also just that approach of like you getting to be kind of your own best friend yeah. um, using that voice that you would with another loved one or with a child, you know, mm -hmm. um, just kind of constantly working on like bringing yourself that love and compassion. And it, it reminds me too of earlier, you had said something about like being with those friends that totally get it, that totally get like you got a chronic illness and like, yeah, you've had plans to meet up at this restaurant for two months and it's really important. Oh, but then, you know, they're not like, oh, Julie woke up again and canceled, you know, <laughs> like they get it hundred percent or whatever. They're like, oh yeah, she can't come. She doesn't feel well, no big deal. Um, but it's also like those dependable, amazing friends that you have in your life that we're so fortunate for. I do feel like the yoga practice has helped me to kind of, I'm not great at it, but I'm still working on it, but like cultivate that same kind of sense of security for mm -hmm. myself too, so that I'm not always dependent mm -hmm. because at some point, like, for example, my husband who I'm so fortunate, like I have this wonderful husband, he takes such good care of me, blah, blah. But some days it is hard, right? Like, it's mm -hmm. <laughs> so I cannot always be like dependent on his incredible like reaction. Cause sometimes it's not going to be there. He's going to yeah. be like stressed. He's got a sick wife. He's got a full-time job, kids, like all this stuff. Yeah. His reaction may not be what I want to hear, like when I'm not feeling well. So mm -hmm. you kind of have to go within sometimes. Oh, right. And just recognizing that too, like that sometimes then it's okay, you know, because sometimes we do, we just want to say it out loud because it's like, you know, that there's nothing that you can do about it. So I just need space to say it, you know, and, and, but knowing too, that if other people are hearing that every day, that can also be overwhelming, or it can be a space where then, you know, if they're stressed out, they, cause so often too, and this is where, you know, the chronic illness space that I still want to write more about too, is, is how it does impact our families, how it does impact other people, you know, because they, they sometimes do feel so helpless because they want to do more, or they don't know how to react to things, or they just want to want us not to be in pain or want us not to have those ups and downs too but mm -hmm. I think too you know what, what you're saying is learning more to just that that continual acceptance of whatever it is that you're facing makes those up and downs at least for me a lot less emotionally reactive like yeah. in terms of just like it's not as devastating to me you know I, as I admitted I woke up today for my little nap I mean and I did I passed out and I never do that so obviously my body needed to and my instant reaction was like oh my gosh what I miss I was supposed to I should have been doing x y and z but then I, you know, quickly turned that around because it was like, no, that needed to happen. You know, mm -hmm. I think like 
you know, years ago, especially being first diagnosed, I, it would have taken me a lot longer to get to that acceptance part. It would have, I would have beat myself up. I would have felt like I should have just pushed through, or I would have felt, or I would have felt like sad, like, oh, this is how my body is. You know, I never used to need this. You know, I would have compared myself or there would have been a lot more shame or guilt or blame or whatever it was in learning how to really go inward and have that acceptance gets rid of so much of that other crap that I was carrying around every day too. Mm-hmm. Do you feel, I know this is your podcast. No, I'm going to throw a question at you. <laughs> Cause I feel like this is um, one I, you know, read about in the chronic illness community and have read uh, some really wonderful blog posts about, but do you feel like you went through a, a proper grieving process with your chronic illness or still working on it? It was, no, that was, it was awful. I mean, and that's something that I really want to talk more about. And people do ask me if I'm going to write a book about it and I will, I just haven't, part of the reason I haven't really written a lot about my autoimmune experience and when I was most sick is because as you know, too, from everything you've gone through, there's a lot of it that I don't remember in a good way, or I, you know, I was drugged up or I was so sick. And so piecing it together is difficult, you know, or really needing to ask other people. But for me, it was a huge space of grief because, you know, I, I had finished my PhD program. I had gotten the job I wanted. I was this shiny new tenure track assistant professor. We moved my family to Texas for this job. Mm-hmm. And basically year one, I was already, you know, now in retrospect, I could see it prior to that. But it was, you know, I started having more problems and then a couple of years in having more problems, mm-hmm. so just having finally started this job that I had like worked so hard for. And then to feel like, you know, when I got sick, I quit, I went on disability. I was too sick to work at all. I felt like it had been taken from me. I mm-hmm. felt like this thing that I had worked so hard for in my dreams was just taken from me and I had no choice. And especially given that I have some trauma in my past where I feel like, you know, things that happened to me that were out of my control, it was hugely triggering. I mean, just even to the point I remember, like, you know, when I go somewhere and somebody, you know, you're checking out at like the grocery store or whatever, and people would say like, oh, what do you do? Are you working today? And I would like have a freaking complete meltdown because it'd be like, it, you know, what do you do? And I'd be like, I don't know what I do. I'm a, I went through the same thing. Yeah. Exactly. The same thing. Mm -hmm. Yes. When I, um, I remember like I'd been in bed forever, but I had to go to this wedding. I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. But then I started getting so anxious because I, I went to Stanford for undergrad and there were going to be all these Stanford people there. And I was like, they're all going to ask me what I do. And I'm going to have to tell them I'm disabled and I'm on disability and I'm in bed. And like, it was just, so what I did, I went, well, I went to therapy and then I went to (laughs) therapy. (laughs) Then I went to the wedding and I had kind of worked out in therapy. Like, we'll see what happens if you don't ask anyone what they do. Like just go in because we're all, you know, a lot of us, like, we're just so used to being like, well, what do you do? Like as the first question. And so I went through the wedding. I never asked anyone what they did. And it actually completely shifted the whole experience for me in a beautiful way. Like I realized part of that was on, on me too. Like, of course Mm -hmm. it's going to come up naturally, but it didn't come up as much 
when I also simply didn't ask others like what they did. It right. was it was really interesting. Well, and it made me realize too, it was such a period of growth for me because it was hugely traumatic for me, that space, but it made me realize how much of my identity was wrapped up in what I did and how much I thought that what I did was who I was. Yeah. And so it was so much for me to really come to terms with it. And then after, you know, you say going through therapy and then even when I decided to go back to work, it's like really... Mm-hmm. It helped me understand that it's like, okay, it's not, you know, that, that, that job isn't what I am or who I am, but it's like the pieces of it, you know, I like helping people or I like teaching people or like showing, you know, so these are things that I can do in other ways. So then when I was on disability, but maybe feeling good, those were the times when, okay, could I volunteer for different things? Or were there things that I could do that would feed those pieces of me as I was really grieving kind of like this loss of this professional identity, but it's still hard for me. You know, I, I, I want to always be transparent about it. You know, one of the things that is difficult for me at the university is knowing I'm in such a different role than if I hadn't gotten sick. So when I see friends who, you know, got Mm -hmm. tenure or they got full professor or they're moving up to admin or whatever, you know, it is, there's still that little piece of me that'll just Mm -hmm. be like, well, that sucks. Not because I'm not happy for them. It is a complete, Mm -hmm. complete, like, oh my goodness, could not have more love in my heart for their accomplishments. But this twinge of like, oh, like almost like a reminder of like, that's what I was going to do, you know? And so really then bringing that awareness back to it, it's like, okay, Cassandra, but what are you doing now? And so really still using that observation to let go of some of the expectations we have for ourselves or those things that we think we should do. And so the long-winded answer to your question is, yeah, grieving that and then still allowing myself space to grieve it when it comes up and not judging it because it still does come up occasionally. I still still do have those spaces where I'm like, well, shit, I thought I'd be doing this or I want to do this, but that's hard for me now. And I can't in that way or whatever it is. That's, um, that's so relatable and so beautifully put. And it's just, I mean, it's so parallel in so many ways to the loss of a loved one, like, you know, the loss of my dad, like going through life and seeing other people, frustrated with their dad, for example. And I'm like, I wish I could be frustrated with my dad too. Like there's points at which like it still hurts. Right. And it's so similar with, um, illness as well, because there is this grief involved in like who you were, who, where you thought you would be. Um, and I think it's very hard, um, if not impossible to like completely detach your professional identity from yourself I think it's I mean just culturally like that is a really impossible task (laughs) it is and one of the things too I I mean it just is because it's so embedded in so much of our lives and everything and the other piece and I kind of want to touch on this I know you have children and I know a lot of autoimmune affects women or other people who are struggling with chronic illness one of the things that's come up for me now that I'm kind of having to go back and heal from a little bit differently. um, I think it's because my daughter went to college, my oldest daughter went to college. And so um, I'm seeing all these spaces of her childhood. Now I'm gonna get a little emotional. 
where I've always known her childhood was different. You know, we had, like I said, we had the bed days. They're in the bed with me, you know? So now being able to feel a little bit better and I want to go be more active or I'll see other people out with their kids and just kind of grieving the spaces that I couldn't be the mom that I wanted to be, or I couldn't be present in the ways that I wanted to be, or that I couldn't take her to go do things or whatever it is, right? And I think it's because now, you know, it feels like that time is gone because, you know, now she's moved on or whatever, right? And so bringing back, and that's where I think too, this is such a relevant conversation because I don't think we're ever done. I think there are going to be those pieces, you know, I'm still going to have to grieve things from, you know, those, those things I felt I missed, you know, and then constantly also reminding myself what I gained because I did gain the the space with her. I absolutely know that I got a different type of relationship with her than had I not been sick in many ways, you know, but it's also like making space for that duality, like allowing myself to be sad about the spaces that I missed out on while appreciating what I did get from it, you know, and that's okay too. It's okay to talk about that. And I think like, expecting to be over it or expecting like when you're better or you look better that that stuff is all gone away I, I think it's the we would be much better served to understand that with each new transition with each new life experience there's probably another layer that's going to get pricked up a little bit that you have to heal it's so true and I don't know even like what resources there really are for parents who have chronic illness in the sense of like emotional support, or there's no like right way to even do this. Like it is extremely difficult. And also exactly what you were saying too earlier about memory, like that you don't, we don't remember things that other people would of course remember about their children. Like with my um, first son, I remember lots of his early milestones. And with my second, that's when my disease started and I was really, really sick. And part of my disease is inflammatory. And so of course I have brain inflammation. I don't know. I don't really remember like him taking his first steps or anything like that. Um, But at the same time, I was just thinking about this the other day that my children being raised in a household where everyone still like loved me and was compassionate towards me. um, If one day, you know, they're in a partnership that they'll see and have learned like a family is really about like loving each other despite Mm -hmm. all that, like despite, you know, all sorts of things like we in you I'm sure I think everyone with chronic illness or most of us like there's huge finance financial changes yeah. um and dealing with illness and um of course too with like even like what activities your kids can participate in and all of that kind of stuff um so I just feel like they'll kind of have learned and and seen that they might have not otherwise really understood that like kind of despite all of these changes like we all still mm-hmm. loved each other you know um I think so it can in the give, long run it'll make them better partners hopefully no I mean I think it can give them such a different level of emotional maturity and empathy um to see you know to see the ways it's, especially I know you're so good too about 
you know, one of the things, you know, just being able to talk, like my kids know, like there have been times where I've snapped, you know, talk about emotional reactivity. Well, when you are in pain, your emotional reactivity is like living at the surface of, you know, right. You know, and so being able to go back to them and explain to them like, Hey, I'm sorry, I was in a lot of pain or, Hey, you know, talk to them about some of those things without worrying them, but also letting them know what's happening. Right. And, and that's Mm -hmm. even, you know, just those layers of stress of knowing how to talk to your kids, knowing that they're going to see things if you don't talk to them and, Hey, I want to take a minute to tell you about something I created that so many of us really need at this time in the world. There's so much going on and our attention is being pulled in a thousand different directions or so it feels. And oftentimes we find ourselves neglecting our self-care. I created a self-care guide to help you get intentional with your practice along with a routine tracker to ensure that you are showing up and caring for yourself in the ways that you crave the most. Head over to Instagram and DM me with the term self-care and I'll send you the link to get the download. You know, and like you say too, just kind of, there's so many different things that are wrapped up in the, in the family aspect of it, that it it can be its own other level of stress, right? You know, you, cause just like anything else, we have hopes for how we want to be as a, you know, professional person. We have hopes for how we want to be as a parent. We have hopes for how we want to be as a relational partner or as a friend, right? So then really working through all of that, whereas sometimes it's like you do, you just feel like you're failing at all of them, right? So it's really trying to reframe that and being like, okay, this is, I am doing the best I can with everything I can in this moment. And that's what I'm going to show my kids, or that's what I'm going to show my relational partners. And so, yeah, your kids being able to see then that knowing that that's the goal is okay. Everybody's doing the best that they can with the tools that they have at the time Mm -hmm. and really being able to kind of like work them through that and help them build resiliency in that way, I think is, you know, if there is a positive that's come out of, or that can come out of those kind of illnesses, it's that is, is it's that closeness and the ways that you can teach them some emotional strength from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that can, you know, you're a communications professor, so I'm not surprised too, you brought it to communication, but it is absolutely a thousand percent true. Like, you know, voicing to your children that everything isn't perfect and being able to just talk about that freely and openly. And I mean, I think that isn't talked about enough, of course, Um, but also, uh, you know, a lot of us prior to chronic illness, you know, hit a lot of things, a lot of imperfections. But then with chronic illness, like what you were saying, you woke up and then your body was like, nope, back in bed, because it's seriously like blackout sleep. Like I, I feel that too. Like, it's like narcolepsy. Like you cannot, it's not like, oh, I'm going to power through. It's like, you're, you got to look around and like lay down. Like, yeah, no, I mean, like I texted Kellen this morning. I was like, I hope you have a good day at school. I mean, like, it's one of those things where now I'm just thankful he drove himself to school. He could handle it, you know? So my life is different, but I remember you know, as you, when those kids were little and that wouldn't happen, you know, and you're trying to, and so even recognizing the spaces of difficulty and finding support of people who understand that and things like that, because yeah, your body is going to do what it's going to do. And, and being, and being able to be open about that in a way that is like you said, accepted by other people in the household and understood 
And then that helps it make it less scary for kids too, because if you don't tell them kids are going to make up their own reality, like that's the thing, you know, teaching family calm. This is what I tell parents over and over is that, you know, we shield children from so much, or we think we're doing them favors by not telling them things. But the reality of it is they create their own story. And a lot of time what they create for their own story is not accurate, right? So then they're building every experience after that based on the story they've told themselves in their head. And so instead of really just saying like, okay, yes, mommy was in pain, but here's what that looked like, or this is what that meant, or even giving them a way, oh, do you know how sometimes when you hurt your finger, what that feels like? Well, that's what this is feeling like right now or whatever it is, right? Like giving them frames of reference. And I think like, you know, the communication piece of it, it's hard because again, like you said at the very beginning, when you don't look sick. Or when you feel like, you know, you look the same as you always have, it can also be hard for people to really understand that you maybe aren't feeling a hundred percent. So that can be really confusing for people too. Oh, yes. Yeah. I like this, um, the communications piece too, with, um, with myself and chronic illnesses, I think, you know, before I was any imperfection. I would like sweep it under the rug and hide it as much as I could. And then with chronic illness, um, you can't hide certain pieces. Like if you're dizzy, you can't walk. You know what I mean? Like there's things that you can no longer hide. And so in, if you're able to talk about that and what happened um, with your kids in the long run, like they're so much better off. Like it made me a better parent in that way because I had to talk about my imperfections. And also what you were talking to about, like, of course, people, we tell ourselves stories. Like if we don't have the full picture of what's going on, our brain's naturally going to fill in the blanks. And so with my nine-year-old, a lot of that was like, mommy, why are you so lazy? Why are you so lazy all the time? Like daddy does so much. Like, why are you so lazy? So it was a lot of conversations around, well, I'm not lazy, but my body's telling me that it's tired and I have to take a nap because I have my asthenia and, um, having a lot of conversations. So, yeah, so that's been, you know, I think in a way, like really in a, I, I, you know, I don't like to make light of anything that we've gone through, but in a way it is like beneficial for our kids. Yeah. We get to talk about a lot of things that other families don't talk about. Yeah. So they go through life with a unique perspective and maybe a little bit more resilience. Well, and I think because of what you just said, you get to talk about things a lot of families don't. And that's, I mean, I've said this a million different times and I'm going to say it. (laughs) Maybe I'll say it on every podcast. That's the thing for me with kids, you know, is that we say like, oh, kids are resilient. And I just like, I, that's like a very triggering statement for me because mm-hmm. kids are not resilient. You know, every parent who says that every grown up who says that, I just want to look at them and be like, yeah. And how's that working out for you? Cause it <laughs> seems like you got yeah. some stuff to heal right now. Kids are resilient when we give them the tools to be resilient. Kids mm-hmm. are resilient because we teach them how to work through their emotions or we talked about mm-hmm. talk to them about things. 
having them just go through something and then saying kids are resilient is a bunch of bullshit. Okay. Like it's giving them those tools. It's talking to them. It's showing them how to be resilient instead of just like making them be in tough situations and then having them overcome it. Right. So Mm -hmm. the gift is, is you are giving your kids resiliency in a way that, yeah, you wouldn't wish upon anyone else's family. You don't want somebody to have to have an ill parent, but you're also equipping them with some tools where if things get hard for them, they have some resources or they have some tools to understand how to go through difficulty because they've seen you go through difficulty, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's the thing. It's like resiliency is built through learning how to go through difficulty, not just by having difficult things happen, you know? Oh, absolutely. Because you'll, I mean, we'll all, we'll, we'll create tools to deal with it, but they're oftentimes not healthy. Yes, exactly. So I love that. Yeah. I love that you say that. Yeah. Just talking with it. Well, and I think the hard thing too, is like, you know, yeah, you're just so often we're, we're coping, you're getting by or trying to manage. And again, doing the best that you can in every given situation on every day and, and not always knowing what that's going to look like too. And having the ability to state that, okay, this doesn't look like it or, or really even giving them the tools to understand that yes, Sometimes I'm going to tell you something and I want to be here for you hundred percent, but I might not be able to be. And this is something to even working with other parents. Like I just had a mom who she's like, I'm at everything. I never miss a game. And my kids know that my kids know I'm always going to be at everything for them. Mm-hmm. And inside, you know, I'm like trying to keep it cool on the outside, but inside I felt myself being like a triggered personally and yeah. B and B also being like, Oh, don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say that. Because mm-hmm. I think like we cannot continue to give this false sense that you're going to necessarily be there all of the time for everything without then also talking about the other side to kids of what it looks like if you can't be. What does it look like if you couldn't show up or what does it look like if an emergency came in or whatever, if that makes sense, right? Of Just like not building in this idea that everyone else is going to be there to take away any emotion or everybody else is going to be there to make everything okay. And that goes way full circle back to what you said at the beginning of, you know, what yoga has done or going, being back into your own internal Mm self-awareness, right. And really showing kids that too, like, yeah, I want to be here for you. I'm going to be your source of support, or I'm going to show up to the games I can or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. but also teaching them that resiliency or the ways to soothe themselves if they are distressed or if they have feelings that feel really big or whatever it is. Mm Yeah. And that it like feelings that are, that are really big and, and just being there for that. I think like when the times that we're feeling good or, and that we can be there and all of that, just that time being of quality yeah. is, is really impactful. And I think about that too, like with, um, with my kids now, like if my 13 year old wants to talk about something, like I really, even if it's like, he wants to talk about something that isn't, isn't that life-changing or whatever like I really do like put everything aside and then try to like mindfully be present with him Mm -hmm. um and I don't know if I would have been like that otherwise like if I had just Mm -hmm. gone through it all and you Mm -hmm. know landed like where I thought I was gonna land and not get sick and like all this stuff I don't know if I would have been as mindfully present as I am now with my kids. And so I, I feel like those little windows 
of time that we're really present with each other are to me, like what I'm always going to hold near and dear, you know, to my heart. Me too. And that's the thing too. And, you know, you brought up the memory and that's where, you know, that's one of the reasons I take so many pictures of just anything that's happening too, is because I, I look back and I don't remember a lot, especially with my son, like you were saying, my, my daughter, I do before she got sick, but a lot of those years with my son, I don't. So mm-hmm. being able to look back at the pictures and I don't even remember being there, like in the pictures, you yeah. know? So it's like, I don't even remember the space. Right. So I have memories that those things happened, but then also really then taking the memories that I can be present for now and really trying to like, almost like burn them into my brain, you know, like that's why being present now is so important to me, I think is because I am acutely aware of those spaces that I feel like I I wasn't, or I couldn't be, or I lost or what have you. Right. And that's not to say I'm sitting around here, like being mindfully present every single moment, like absolutely have to tell me to put down my phone. And they know that though, they know that if like, Hey mom, I want to talk to you. They know, like, I do have to put down my phone because I can't be there in that way. But I know I would not have ever had that level of awareness with them had I not been sick I was too much in the grind and too focused on all of oh, me too. I just was you know <laughs> me too uh, a thousand percent and and that's like even that example of like my son wanting to talk to me like I can't even give you an example Cassandra because I literally don't remember like <laughs> I cannot think of like what he would what he has said in those situations but what I do know is that this is my habit. This is what I've been working on mindfully being present. And so when I say it's like near and dear to my heart, the actual memories of like what information was exchanged is not going to be there, (laughs) but I know that this is the habit that I've cultivated and what I've been doing. Um, And I agree. There's, there's lots of photos. I even one that's kind of sad, but and, a, you know, I, ha- I think of a dark sense of humor. Well, I don't think I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is when my uh, second born, it was probably like two and it's me and my house in Portland, like laying in the hallway. And he was just sticking stickers all over my body. And um, I know, I don't remember that at all. But I, yeah, and I course. know that I must have been like parenting while really sick absolutely so I probably sure handed him stickers and was like put stickers on me yeah oh so I, no, I mean anyone who has an autoimmune disease would be like yeah you were probably either passed out or you were on your drugs or whatever yes. and like would not think twice about it so to anyone else who doesn't have those things do not call cps this is not a thing well but, somebody took the photo so right, somebody right, else took it. Right. My husband. but it, it is it's those spaces where you you know that you were yeah you know that you were there but like you were not there <laughs> But it's, it, it, it is though, it's those moments like that, you know, that also then show you kind of the spaces of how far you have come to, I think, oh, hell yeah. you know, cause that is the other hard thing is just, you know, getting through a space and you think you're feeling good and you can get knocked right back down. So to really be able to, that's why I do love those pictures, you know, or I'd love those, yeah. you know, kind of things that I find occasionally. Cause it's like, oh Yeah you know, I am not there anymore. Or even if I get there physically, where I am emotionally with everything is so much different. 
What a great point. And mm-hmm. that feels so much, you know, so now even the anxiety and the stress, you know, like if I get labs done or if I see a number, it's like, okay, yep. Yeah, but I can understand that and not spiral in a way that I used to or whatever it is. And so I think like building our own resiliency because we're having these conversations or because we're, you know, working through some of those things is that's, I think, how we can continue to help other people too, is by having these conversations and and telling them the things that have worked for us. Because I do think that, you know, unfortunately with autoimmune, unfortunately with a lot of these things that people face, the ups and downs and the unexpected nature of it, especially if you already have an undercurrent of anxiety, like I do, like you do, yes, uh-huh. it, it, is. it just ramps it up and you can feel overwhelmed constantly, which then of course is bad yeah. for your adrenals and it burns out your right. nervous system and all these, right. It's and then you're so in that true. cycle, you're in that cycle. And so just, um, you know, I've had so much fun talking to you today. Where, oh, can, where can people better. find you? Because I know obviously yoga is such a beneficial beneficial tool for people and you actually have spaces where people from anywhere can come online and um, find soul strong so tell us a little bit about that before we wrap up yeah so as you can tell you know I'm all about accessibility and that anyone can do yoga so I talked about me being in bed doing yoga for a long time Um, but then also uh, I have a strong movement practice now and love meditation and mindfulness so I have two small studios in Round Rock, Soul Strong Yoga. And the other thing that I offer too is all sorts of trainings really for anyone who's interested in accessible yoga, whether that be for themselves or becoming certified in accessible yoga to teach others. And so you can find my trainings on um, our online platform, which is teachyogaforall.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today, Julie. I really, I I didn't know where our conversation was going to go. And I love that. I love that we had so many different things to talk about with regard to health and, and mental health, because I do think that this is a space too, where so many more people were hearing about autoimmune. We're hearing about all of the ways that just different illnesses are manifesting and how you know, really getting in touch with your physical and emotional self and kind of working through some of these things can at the very least help minimize some of the symptoms and prevent some of those flares too. And Mm -hmm. I really appreciate you sharing your experiences and being open with everything that you've gone through on this journey too. Such a pleasure. I loved spending time with you. I know. I can't wait to do it again soon, hopefully in person. (laughs) Thank you again. Thanks, Julie. Bye everyone. Here are some takeaways from today's episode. Number one, yoga is a beautiful way to connect with yourself, even inward. This is such a powerful practice when we are so out of control with our bodies, with disease or other conditions. Number two, sitting still with ourselves can be a very uncomfortable thing to adjust to, but through yoga, you can learn what your body is truly trying to tell you. It's a journey to become self-aware and tune in with how you care for yourself in each of your days. Number three, Through yoga, you build your own security and warm embrace instead of depending on other people to hold space for you. Number four, some days are really hard. And even if you have a long list of exciting things to do in your day, your body may dictate otherwise. As frustrating as this can be, it's important to accept if you need to cancel or rest. Number five, you may see the path you wanted to take unfolding for someone else and feel a wave of grief around what could have been if it weren't for you navigating health challenges. 
Number six, parenting is a very challenging journey as you cannot always be present as you wanted to be at different points in your illness. And thanks everyone for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.